Welcome to Behavioral Grooves. My name is Kurt Nelson. And I'm Tim Houlihan. In this episode of Behavioral Grooves, we want to uh, recap some experiences that we had at the Uber Science Symposium and being in the behavioral sciences track from May... May 3rd, May 3rd, 2019, out in San Francisco. So we were lucky and very privileged to uh, be invited to this this component. And we went because it was, uh, A, one day of just behavioral science, you know, nirvana. We got to hear a lot of great speakers and talk to a lot of people who are really interested and in, in part of this community of behavioral science that we just so love. And so what were some of the highlights for you, Tim? Some of the highlights for me were uh, academic speakers. We got to hear from both academics and from practitioners. Right. But the the first one that that really uh, s- struck me was uh, Melanie Brooks. Ah, uh, Melanie was great. Yeah. So her just to quickly recap what she was working on was a study to try to understand. Is it is there a better way to innovate? And in a virtual world where there's a lot of video conferencing, is can innovation be successful? Yeah, can you is innovation more likely to happen in that virtual face uh, virtual uh, electronic world versus a face to face world? And she looked at it really interestingly because she looked at um, innovation being two components, looking at this element of idea generation, which is this divergent thinking component, and this idea of idea selection, idea of idea selection. I like how I said that. I like that. And that's like more of a convergent component. Right. And, and so the findings on that were actually interesting because on a, that divergent component, that idea the, generation. The, brain, the brainstorming part. The basically. brainstorming part, getting more ideas and, and, and better ideas, uh, actually face-to-face, which is kind of what you think, right? Various different things. However. That made, that made sense, yeah. However, on that idea selection the, the, the convergent the thinking. The convergent thinking. Uh, her research is pointing to the fact that actually video component of that may be a better way of doing that. It's more focused. It allows for uh, a better idea selection based upon the criteria that they used in some of this research. So yeah. it was really cool, really fascinating. Yeah, and, and we actually got to talk to her, and she had a couple things to say. Yeah, so when we look at divergent thinking, that's a generative process of coming up with new ideas or coming up with new content. And in general, you want to be unfocused and broad and and approach it from different perspectives. The convergent thinking is when you want to narrow in on one solution, come up with the best um, outcome or best um, decision. And um, what we find is that technology affects these two processes differently. So um, when you want to be divergent, it's better to be face-to-face, interacting with people in a broad environment where you can draw upon different things and look around. Um, but actually, it turns out that communicating over video can actually help you for convergent thinking because it actually focuses you in on the task. You end up being more focused in your decision-making process and you make better decisions at the end of the day. Are there any differences between men and women in this in this case? And that's a great question. Um, we haven't found anything so far, uh, but in our labs, they've been students and staff who do five-minute things, and then in our field studies, they've been almost primarily men. Um, but I do, we are looking now, um, we haven't done any analysis yet, but we're interested in if there might be an equalizing um, factor in technology where the role of gender is um, is less prominent when you're communicating virtually than when you're in face-to-face. I love it. Thank you. So, Kurt, who else did you listen to that really uh, brought some great ideas to mind? I mean, there are tons, but Wendy DeGlorosa, uh, again, w- 
second time I've heard her. Yeah, we love her. Oh my you know, God. Yes. From, from Common Sense Labs and really looking at how do you get people who, who aren't necessarily financially, uh, who are at a fan financial risk to actually get them to start saving. And how do you do this using behavioral science to really get there? And some of the work, again, that she was doing was great. So She commented that uh, her group has done 80 random control tests. Ah! I mean, they are bringing behavioral science to the field in a really big way and absolutely just, just love that. Yeah. Uh, who else, Tim? What, what were some of the other highlights? I really enjoyed listening to Liz Dunn. Liz was great. She was absolutely terrific from the University of British Columbia, talking about time, money, technology, and asking the simple question, why don't people talk to strangers? Right. And I mean, she's a happiness researcher. And so one of the things that she points out in, in all of the happiness research is that we are, are almost always more happy when we are in social components and, and have conversations with different people. And yet we're in all of these situations where you're traveling on a, on a bus or, you know, a subway or you're in line waiting for somebody and we don't strike up conversations with strangers. It's, it's, we, we typically don't do it. And so she did some really cool research that was looking at some of the reasons why. So it's, it's great stuff. It is really yeah. cool stuff. And, and the fact of the matter, one of her research studies had red bracelets and green bracelets. This was kind of uh, ironic. R red uh, meaning don't talk to me. Green meaning I'm willing to talk to anybody. Right. And so some really cool things about that. However, the Uber Science Symposium, and we joined, <laughs> yes. we had to put on a red bracelet to begin with. So I'm wondering if there was any priming going on after that the I don't ultimate know. at least the ultimate in irony <laughs> so yeah, that was very, very cool so. after we listened to liz we actually talked to elizabeth kim from spotify about some of her observations what do you think so far so far it's been great i mean the collection of people here is absolutely astounding the questions being asked and i think getting practitioners and researchers together in the same space to talk like deeply into the So, Kurt, who else? Well, of course, I love Charlotte Blank, former guest on this podcast. Of, of course, course, of course. But she brought in some really cool research again. Great looking stuff. Looking at uh, can can firms be loss averse, and looking at research that that they did, that field research, real like actual dollars, a lot, a lot, a lot of dollars that were being invested in this program. With real car dealers. With real car dealers and looking at does a uh, incentive program that actually gives people the dealers money at the beginning of the month and they'd claw back if you don't hit your goals. Does that perform better than the normal money, which is be saying, okay, you get the month and, and if you hit your goals, we'll pay you. And contrary to what we would necessarily think and what the research might point to that, you know, loss averse is more motivating, uh, the research didn't necessarily point to that. So really cool work. And they're even, what was interesting is all the statistics and, and the modeling and some of the, the really in-depth research that's going on with that. Yeah, it's pretty terrific. After uh, Charlotte spoke, we actually got to talk to her and she had a couple things to say. So Charlotte, you spoke today and how did you think it went? This was an incredible event. I had so much fun today and I love to see the incredible turnout and the rise of this sort of coming together of uh, academics and practitioners. This is really what I'm all about and I love to see this here. 
We also got to talk to Ingrid Paulson, who is at Rally Health, and she had some interesting observations. So, Ingrid, uh, you go to a lot of these conferences. You've been in behavioral science for a long time uh, in the academic world and in uh, and in as a practitioner. So, uh, tell me, what what do you think about this conference so far? Were there any things that really struck you that yeah. you, that stood out? Yeah. So, I think it's um, it's a great initiative by Uber organizing uh, this event and bringing together uh, people that use um, a lot of really different methods. Uh, I think that's been um, particularly what's stood out in, in this conference that um, normally we, we hear a lot in these conferences um, that people use kind of randomized controlled trials um, and experiments. Uh, but I think what uh, Uber has done in this conference is that they, they're bringing together uh, people who use a broader range of methods um, and introducing some of those um, and how they've managed to apply that to, to different problems. Yeah, do you, do you um, so, like the idea of hearing from practitioners as well? Yes, I, I think it's great uh, to kind of see people have uh, the kind of skills and expertise uh, from academia, but uh, but also kind of taking it beyond uh, the the lab and, and looking at kind of real world concepts and, and using the kind of really large amount of rich data that uh, that companies have access to. And then we were able to stop and get a really couple of interesting comments from Sharon Orsi and Scott Drummond from Next Step. Okay, and uh, tell me, you show up at these behavioral science conferences before, we've met before. So what do you think so far? We're, we're at lunch. Uh, yeah, it's great. I mean, it, it's always really interesting to see people's talks and, you know, learn uh, from folks. Uh, I think uh, it's a, a particularly interesting how there's kind of, I feel like, two different sets of presenters. There's folks that are, like, very much applied in the real world and the applications of behavioral science in the real world. And then, obviously, the, you know, more uh, academically rigorous presentations. And so it's, uh, I think... Do you have a preference? Well, we're we're applied behavioral scientists, so we, we apply it in you know uh, business. So uh, naturally, we're always looking at things with that angle, and even if it's the academic research, it's we're trying to figure out how it can be applied to solving our clients' challenges. So that's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you're new to the industry, but you believe in behavioral sciences and the application of behavioral sciences. So I was introduced to behavioral science about six weeks ago, and so every day is a new awakening. And I was fortunate enough to join up with Next Step because Next Step is combining behavioral science and design in a completely new way. We call it the science of design. And what's been fascinating to me is that as I begin to learn more about uh, what's uh, happening in the field, a lot of it is in academia. In fact, the vast majority of the work that's being done, it's great work, but it's not yet in the commercial sector for the most part. Large companies like Uber and some of the social media companies have behavioral scientists on staff, but it's, I think, more of an exception than the rule. And what I think is, you had asked me earlier, um, what are the things that are going to help to make this shift between the academic work that's being done and more commercial applications? And the thing that's been, uh, I think, really apparent to me is that digital experience, user journeys, customer experience, is a place where not only is there an obvious application of behavioral science, but it's easy for people to understand what it can do in those applications. And so I think once people start to see, and businesses and brands start to see the benefits of the behavioral science principles and how they can affect 
um, outcomes in those applications, we're going to see a lot more traction in the industry. People so, are going to realize the benefits. So what do you think about a symposium like this? Well, it's interesting because, you know, you have, you have on the one hand, like really deep, tricky data that people are trying to unpack for you in a 20-minute presentation. And my head just starts spinning because there's so many ways that you can dive into it. You need probably three hours for some of these discussions. And then on the other hand, you have some folks who are obviously more representative of kind of commercial applications in a single case study, and they're taking really one small piece of what behavioral science can do, and they're illustrating it pretty nicely and showing really exciting outcomes. So that gets me you know, very excited about the potential. Sharon, any any other comments about that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really interesting because uh, when you think about it, we're at a behavioral science conference, and yet we're defaulting back to what we say we know doesn't work, which is knowledge doesn't drive behavior, yet we continue to give knowledge. And so is there a way that we can really rethink the way we do um, conferences in a different format, et cetera, so that it really allows for a much better um, way to actually interact with the thought leaders and, and, and the folks that are, um, you know, uh, doing this research or doing these findings in a way that can be much more applicable to how we can leverage the knowledge that they've gathered and really bring it to industry. So I think it, it would be really interesting if we fundamentally rethought how we can do, um, you know, conferences so everybody comes out getting a lot more from it. So, Kurt, what else? So, I liked uh, Hal Hirschfeld from UCLA. Oh, yeah. He had uh, this element of bringing the self into the choice architecture that we're working with and looking at your future self and how that drives your, your behaviors today and how can we make the future self more relevant. And again, just really great research um, that has some really relevant components, right? We are better at making long-term decisions that are positive for us if we can visualize our future self being it more readily vivid and apparent. My favorite quote from Hal's comment uh, from his presentation was, it's rational to treat our future self worse than we treat our current self. <laughs> it is oh, rational. Oh, man. That's just mind-blowing. Well, in this idea... Absolutely mind-blowing. You know, we have this idea that we have this one self throughout our life, but in reality, we don't. We have a past self, we have a current self, and we have a future self. And they're actually all very different selves in the way totally. that we look and, and think about things. Totally and different. So this element of, of yeah, if I'm going to maximize my, my self well-being, you know, there's this component of my future. My future self isn't the same person as I am right now, so I can discount them. They're, they're not as important. And the more that we can make that future self be relevant to who we are, like facial aging components and different things and pictures and various different ways of thinking about ourselves in the future, uh, you know, again, really impactful on actual real world decisions that are making an impact on people's lives. And he had a couple of tips because uh, someone asked, well, what do you do in your life to, to actually, you know, improve on this? And I thought these tips were absolutely great. First was 
create more habits. Yes. Like just create an environment where we do things so that we are acting in our best self-interest for our future self. Just create those habits. And the second thing was to use our future self to push guilt on our current self. I just love that. Oh, it's yeah. like, it's okay to use our future self to push guilt back on our, on our current self, you, at least every now and you then. You young kiddo, you, <laughs> right. you know, old self, you weren't good enough to me and now look. All right. We also got to speak to Joseph Reeve from UCLA. He's doing his PhD. And as a student, he had some really interesting observations. Terrific. So uh, what did you think? How, how was the day for you? Uh, it was fantastic. Yeah. The, um, the kind of scene research at the intersection of practice and theory was really, really cool. Yeah. Was there any one particular or two particular insights that really stood out for you? Ooh, well, seeing um, in the data blitz that a machine can predict someone's personality by their facial features was pretty interesting. That is pretty interesting. Yeah. Excellent. Anything else? Um, no, it was, just, it was just great to see the theories that we're learning about in the classroom applied in real-world settings with real-world impact. So That is terrific. Okay, thank you. So I have to just comment because uh, one of my favorite conversations was there was an interview with Brad Wojtek from the University of California, San Diego, who is one of, I mean, literally from a 20-minute conversation, I could tell that he was one of the smartest people I've ever heard. Ever. Ever. Yeah. I mean, he's a neuroscientist. He has a lab at UC in San Diego, and they're doing all this research of where they're they're applying data science principles. Oh, so not only does he lead the, the neuroscience lab, but he also teaches data science uh, to the students there. So he's teaching in a whole separate discipline. And by the way, he used to work at Uber uh, as a data scientist bringing in uh, when they first started off and, and doing all the stuff. And God, he is just brilliant and I hate him. <laughs> well, how, I, yeah. I, I, I hate in that jealous way in of, that jealous oh way, my right. God, this guy is too perfect. And he is so bright and so intelligent. Uh, and he just blew and me away. he's a nice person. <laughs> like, God damn it. Why do you have to be a nice person too? Yeah, it was, um, it was really cool. But I, the big takeaway from his conversation for me was the future is data science and the integration of behavioral science with data science. We have to be looking at heterogeneous data sources. We have to be combining them and bringing them together, just like he did when he started talking about, wow, there's a big surge for demand after a Beyonce concert. Right. And so looking at Uber at the early days, right, and they're trying to get the algorithms right to get their, their drivers in the right place so people aren't waiting too long. And they're looking at, all right, all of a sudden, we get this huge surge up on the north side of San Francisco. Oh, well, Beyonce concert just got let out. And then yeah. they're looking at, oh, it's starting to rain. We're getting a lot more things. And so, and then they're looking at, oh, the Dodger game, you know. is it, going so badly that score, people are leaving. They're leaving in the fifth <laughs> inning. And so, he's taking, right. they, they, they started taking all right. these different data sources, real-time scores from the Dodger game, right? Looking at. Real-time weather data. Real-time weather data. Looking yeah. at concert schedules, various different things. And, and. And combining all of that in order to make this demand model so that they can get drivers, you know, so people aren't waiting 10, 15 minutes to get uh, a ride home. And that was fascinating. And now he's applying that same principle into, you know, this work that they're doing on cognitive neuroscience and looking at um, some of the differences of, of how people 
process information, and he's not even doing any actual lab work on this. He's using data science to mine and scrape all this data from people right. that are right. have already done the stuff and looking at because the data is com- already there. We can combine this with this and this, and does that give us a better insight into neural oscillation? You know, and various yes. different pieces. And yes. I'm like, going, damn it hate you <laughs> you are just so bright and and amazing and um actually I, I i don't hate him i'm just very jealous of him and i would love to spend some time in learning from him and talking with him too so with that just a big thanks to candace hogan for inviting us to the uber symposium we loved being there and it completely you know put brand new juice in our systems it was just fabulous yes and so if you enjoyed this episode please let us know Uh, always refer a friend if you think that this would be something that they'd be interested in also just leave us a review if you like and uh at your favorite podcasting place you know and write something nice or not nice we'll look and we'll read it both we'll read both but we always like nice better (laughs) so with that thank you for listening 